So Emily went to London. <laughs> yes, I'm very jet lagged at this moment. Um, who'd you see? Tell us who you texted us <laughs> that you saw. You guys, I was walking out of Hamilton and I saw William Morrison. <laughs> and this is the text me and Hunter received um, is William Morrison. And so I don't know about you, Hunter, but I personally went into a panic that like I wasn't cool enough to know who William Morrison was. So I immediately like went on a Google search mm-hmm. and all I could find was like, who even was it? It was like an a, inventor. Yes, an inventor. Cool. And I thought, he's dead. Like, <laughs> he's long dead. And well, then, so I responded, mm-hmm. trying to make a joke. Mm-hmm. The, the, yeah, you were like the inventor from the 1800s, and I said, that's good to hear. I was wondering when he'd come out from hiding. Okay, and but then, when you responded, I thought, Hunter knows who she's talking about, and I still don't. Like, <laughs> and then, like, across the ocean in London, I sent the text, was walking down the stairs to the subway, and I was like, that, that didn't sound like the right name. And I Googled it, and I was like, oh, no sent a text and it was like cannot deliver because you're underground right. and so I come up to all these jokes about inventors I was like sorry guys I meant Matthew Morrison <laughs> who is like from Glee which I will say wait wait can I just say he's he's also from Broadway yes he, yes but like I'm That's sorry fair. but he took that pop route and it just like was look not it's successful. his own fault he took the Glee job which was an admirable position for a couple of years yes listen season one was phenomenal. I'll stand by I've, that. I've got that soundtrack from season one in my car right now. I have. I ha- <laughs> on I, a CD? Yeah. <laughs> I, own, I own all six seasons on iTunes. Oh, nice. And I kept buying them because I said, you know what? It's going to get better. It's going to come it's back. Gonna, yeah, you know what? It no. It did not. No, like, no. But it gave us Grant Gustin. That's true. And I love him. The Flash. And yeah. Supergirl. There you go. Good. Hurrah. Hurrah. <laughs> Episode 211 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. We've got a new segment. Is it a segment? Yeah. Is it a... We've got a new series. We have a new series. We're calling Backlist Book Club because we're borrowing, copying, Hunter, our, our friend and influencer, Hunter. <laughs> um, so we're calling it Backlist Book Club. So I am joined by regular co-hosts. Hunter McClendon. Um, who you can follow at Shelf by Shelf on Instagram for tons of book reviews and book-related talks. Sometimes I want to call you Shelf by Shelf West. Because oh. <laughs> I like that. If you move to Arizona or something, yes. you're, you're covered. And we're also joined by... Emily McKenna, from... owner of Your Maker, where you can follow me and see lots of crafts. <laughs> lots of crafty time. <laughs> and um, painting. It's, that's right. It's not arts and crafts, it's art and crafts. There we go. It's beautiful. Um, so we are trying this new thing where we're talking backlist titles because on From the Front Porch, Chris and I spend the majority of our time talking about new books. And we try to balance that, especially in the past um, few months, we've tried to balance that with some backlist book talk. But we're kind of shifting gears. So Love It or Loathe It is going to kind of, in Jordan's words, go the way of the dodo bird. <laughs> it's going to kind of phase Aww, out. I know. Bye. Um, but. At least we didn't get cut. That's right. You're still here. Um, and it's it's kind of the same basic premise. Mm-hmm. We're just not reducing it maybe to that binary. Do we love it or do we loathe it? Instead, yeah. we're going to have a book club style discussion. Um, and we will try to let listeners know what book we're reading in advance so that they can kind of read along with us. 
Or what I'm hoping is that people will be inspired to host their own book clubs after hearing us talk. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we picked our first book. And we picked it for a few reasons. It's Black History Month. Mm-hmm. It's Oscar season. And we needed to record this quickly. Yes. <laughs> so, so we picked If Beale Street Could Talk by James Baldwin. Um, this was my first James Baldwin book, actually, which I'm kind Same. of horrified Same. to admit. Okay, well, <laughs> good. Um, and before, so we're going to do this discussion a couple ways. Um, we are going to do this, I call it Great Books Honors College style, because that's where I learned it. But in college, at our Great Books discussion table, we would come, each student would come prepared with one or two questions, and that would kind of lead our discussion. So... Hunter, Emily, and I each came to the conversation today with one question we kind of wanted to each talk about. So that's kind of how our conversation is going to flow. Um, but we did want to kind of get a rather large elephant <laughs> in the room out of the way first, which is that we are three white voices talking about a book by an African-American author. Yes. Um, so we're going to give each other grace to have a literary conversation and a conversation about a book written by a black author. Um, but there are probably going to be some problems with that. Um, And luckily, we have tried to round out our discussion with thoughts by other people of color. Hunter is going to kind of wrap that up at the end for us. Um, But please know we are doing the best we can. And we're learning. And we're learning. And we're open to like, And we want more. We want to talk about it with more people, too, and, and grow from this. And we want you to go into your communities and talk about it with your book clubs and the people mm-hmm. you're interacting with on a daily basis. So um, we're giving each other grace. We're giving uh, each other room to learn and also acknowledging that we don't know everything. And so this conversation is, you know, it's a, it's a bunch of white people talking about... <laughs> but I think a really valuable and good book. Um, So let's just dive in. Um, My question, I'll start with just because I think it's kind of a basic um, Did we see the title of the book? Yes, we did. If Beale Street Could Talk by James Baldwin. Um, But yes, we should clarify. Um, I wanted to talk about the structure. And the reason I wanted to talk about the structure is I had just had this conversation, I think on the podcast, about how I have been gravitating lately towards books with shorter chapters. And... Interestingly enough, If Beale Street Could Talk is, I think, a relatively quick read. Um, It's a relatively thin book, especially for a quote-unquote classic. Um, But it is one, like, there are no chapter breaks, and there is one section break, like, at the very end that I honestly, I'm curious why it's even there. We can kind of talk about that. Um, But this book has no chapter breaks. It's kind of written in one fluid motion, and I wanted to talk about why you think that is, and how that format might have affected our reading. So, does anybody have thoughts on that? I one thing I thought about a lot because at one point I'm not going to lie, um, I started it thinking, "Oh, I'll read the first chapter," yes. and then yeah, and then I was like, "Oh, <laughs> no!" And I just kept going, and I didn't stop until I finished. <laughs> um, but something I thought about that could possibly have contributed to it is this idea that this girl's life, because it's told from the perspective of a, a, a young woman, t- mm-hmm. Tish? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tish? Yes, Tish. And she, her life is not stopping. Like, nothing is stopping. Like, everything keeps on going despite all these obstacles in her way. And I thought that you, it felt like I was kind of being ambushed by like more and more problems or, or just like so much life happening, mm-hmm. you know, and I was almost kind of overwhelmed by it. And it kind of made me think, well, this is probably how she felt really overwhelmed by everything happening. Well, that, okay, that's what I was going to say. I did the exact same thing you did. I got the book. 
fully intended to read one chapter and was like, oh no. Like, like you could just, you could probably have seen me like flipping pages, like, wait, where's, where's the next page or where's the next chapter? Um, I though, by the end of it thought, well, I feel like I have been on this journey with her. Mm-hmm. I feel bre- like I almost felt breathless yes. and exhausted because I think that's what Tish feels. I think that's what, um, that's it's the impression. Yes. It's mm-hmm. extremely overwhelming. And I, like you, Hunter, by the end, just felt kind of caught up in it. And I, by the end, wondered when I got to the very first and only section break, which really is at the very end. I feel like there's only a few pages after that point. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first time I felt like I could pause and like give myself a minute. I think that was the moment where you felt your first bit of hopelessness in the situation. Was at that in at that section yeah, break. Yeah, if I'm remembering correctly, it's it like after Puerto Rico, right? Yes, it was after Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. and I did feel like, whew, we may like. I felt that hopelessness, but I also felt like, well, can we take a breather for a second now? Like, mm-hmm. because up until that point, I really breathless is the best way I know how to describe it. Overwhelmed is another good way to put it. Um, but I wound up feeling like the structure really contributed to my overall empathy for the main character. And the structure wound up feeling so much more um, purposeful than mm-hmm. I originally thought. Like at first I thought, this is a classic. I haven't read a classic in a while. Maybe this is just how these things go. Um, but I really think now that was Baldwin's intention. And it let me realize how efficient his words were. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he said so much mm-hmm. in the perfect amount of words. And I feel like it, it just showcased that his writing style was so succinct, you know. And if he had been like any writer now, I just finished a book, you know, this thick. Yeah. Young adult, like, holy cow, it's just so many extra words. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. It, it, was a, it was art. I mean, the way that he was able to tell the story. You're right. Because he packs so much mm-hmm. in, in really such a short um, number of pages. But the story is totally complete. Yeah. And it's really, ex- it's really accessible as a text. Like, it never felt so... Um, like highfalutin, I guess, like, mm-hmm. right? Where it never felt like, it never felt like some word. of those other, like, classics that yeah. are, like, kind of impenetrable where you just, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. I think if you're, I, we have some listeners who sometimes write us and say, what's a classic I could read? Because I think classics can feel daunting. Mm-hmm. That Just that title, classics, can feel like, oh, you know, school. What, if, what mm-hmm. why, why do I have to read this? Um, I think this is an incredibly accessible work. Like, I finished it so quickly. And I really did, when I saw that there were no chapter breaks, my heart sunk a little bit, <laughs> thinking, oh, no, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And then... I wound up, I accidentally took the copy Emily was going to take from the bookshelf. And so I thought, oh no, I need to hurry so Emily can read this. And instead, I finished it quickly on my own because I was so compelled by the story. Mm -hmm. You have this compulsion to keep reading. And I think the structure plays into that. Mm -hmm. Okay, Emily, what was your question? Um, My question is, I guess I'll just say it was an issue that I had with the book, mm-hmm. and I was wondering what you guys were thinking about the fact that the main voice was a woman, and it's a man writing it, and there's a lot of female experiences that he's describing, mm-hmm. and emotions, and relationships from her perspective that I just, it was the only time where I was I felt let down. Yeah, I think I felt similarly, particularly I will say I was fine with the male voice. We've talked about this before on this podcast. I think maybe even in Love It or Loathe It, that male writers, when they write about women's issues, sometimes 
you can really tell it's a male voice mm-hmm. um, or a masculine voice. And I didn't really fully realize it until the sexual encounters in yeah. the book. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of scenes. <laughs> I was like, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa. Yeah. No, yeah. sir. Yeah. That's not yeah. that's yeah. not even close to how well, it happens. It's funny that you guys say that because um, I there's this um, there's this girl on Instagram, uh, Books and Bow Ties, and she was reading Giovanni's Room. Okay. Um, Another James Baldwin work. Yeah. And it's about these, uh, it's like, I think everyone in there is white. And um, it's about like this like gay relationship. And James Baldwin was gay. And I think it's really interesting because she was sick. She didn't know he was gay. And she was like, I just don't feel like this is like authentic to the. Interesting. And I wonder if maybe it's just like, I, cause it's really funny because when I will say when it came to the love scenes, I did think, well, wait a minute. There's, there's something a little bit off about this. But in general, though, I, I like I felt like I was reading like a very feminine voice. When they, the mother-daughter relationships and the sister relationships did feel very authentic to me. Yeah. It was truly, I was only taken out of that mm-hmm. for me personally during, yeah, the, the love scenes or the sexual encounters. Like that's when I felt like a little less familiar. Yeah. It, felt, it felt a little less feminine to me. But also, I know we keep saying Tish is the protagonist, but her significant other, her um, her love interest, Fawny, is it Fawny? Is that right? Fawny, yeah. Her soulmate. Her, yeah, her soulmate. Um, I feel like we get a lot of his perspective, mm-hmm. even though it's from really her. told. Yeah, yeah, it's told from her voice, but he felt very real yes. and complex, even though we're only seeing Fawny really through Tish's eyes, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. Um, and I don't know... I don't know how he was quite able to do that. I know. Well, and even like, it's so funny because I, I started to kind of see how, I started to kind of see a way, his, his way into it whenever um, Tish's mom goes to Puerto Rico. I could see these moments and how she, he would take her and tell her mother's story and still have these tiny little threads of Tish with, woven within it. But it was like, it was almost like the, the understood, like Tish became like the, the backstitch mm-hmm. and like her mother's story kind of went folded over. And I think that's kind of what it really was is that like Tish, even in moments where it wasn't her, she was still the underpinning. What did we think about the Puerto Rico storyline? I liked it. I did but too, but it almost took me out of the out. story a little bit. Yeah. But I'm glad it was there. Yeah. But that was mm-hmm. it. There's a, there's the book. Um, this is how it always is. Mm-hmm. I don't know if y'all read that. Anyway, there's a scene at the end where they, I believe they go to Thailand, and I always feel like, gosh, that seems a little random. But then it's not. But it's not really. Right. And I almost wonder if it was giving me a break from mm-hmm. if James Baldwin was unintentionally giving me some space from from Tish and from the real oppression, yeah. uh, op- the oppressive heat of that New York summer and that New York experience. Yeah. I don't know. But it also is kind of like okay, you kind of feel like that's going to be the turning point, mm-hmm. and it's not. And it's not. Yeah. And sorry if that's a spoiler for this forty <laughs> or fifty year old book, <laughs> but um, you know, it's just I I liked it because I was like, why are we going here? This seems so different and odd and yeah. out of place. But it really like kind of built up. Where you're like, okay, I'm going to be able to take a breath. Yeah. But then. I did. It's so funny because you're right. Because I remember thinking at one point, I was like, I was Here like, Here we go. Yeah. Like, well, that's it. And it's so funny because I've no, you know, one, this book is only like 40, 50 years old. Yeah. It's, it's not that the 70s. old. And, and the, the fact that things were like, the things that are happening in this book were happening then, that's really upsetting. But it's also just as upsetting that this stuff is still happening now. But it's funny that like the ending of this book is a little bit disheartening. 
that ending hasn't really changed in a lot of the books that are similar to it either. Yeah, I, so I think let's let's move in that direction. But if you're listening to this and you have not read If Beale Street Could Talk, I guess we should inform you that the book is told from Tish's perspective, mm-hmm. really. And it's a love... I mean, I think it's, it's core. It's a love story, and we can talk a little bit about that. But it's Tish and Fawny, and they are kind of childhood sweethearts mm-hmm. and soulmates. And then... They are on the cusp of marriage. Mm-hmm. I think he has proposed yes. at this point. And they're about to move into their Yeah, home. they're about to move into their first home. And we kind of get some of that in flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the novel begins, Fani is in prison or in jail for a rape he says he did not commit. Mm-hmm. And we're given throughout the novel to we really have no reason to think that he did commit it. Well, the um, revealing of why he's there is takes so much time. Yes. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we find, we find out why he's in jail, why he's in prison. He's kind of awaiting trial and there are all kinds, there's so much nuance to the story, but basically Tish then finds out she's pregnant mm-hmm. and the whole story kind of un, uh, unspools from there, I guess. Well, I will, I do have a quick question about like real quick back to the voice. Um, what did you guys think about? Cause it describes Tish like while she's pregnant and like feeling the baby and stuff, like what did you guys think about that? That's hard for me because I'm that that experience is not one I have had. So for me, I felt like yeah, this seems this seems on brand. <laughs> like this seems this seems reasonable. But Emily, you would be able to speak yeah. to that one. No, that was the second moment. Okay. Next to the sex scene, that I was like, <laughs> 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 this is some artistic license. Okay. But, I mean, that's not to say that women haven't become nauseous when their baby kicks or whatever. Right. But that was a lot of, that was a lot. Like, um, I'm, I can't remember exactly how he put it, but it, he was connecting the baby's kicks to, like, negative things happening around her and nausea and her mm-hmm. um, emotion. It was just a little ridiculous. Also, I just like to say, I was, like, not taken aback, but just... Loved how many times she smoked and drank as a pregnant. Oh, I will say, oh, yeah. how times have changed. Yeah. She can't even eat deli meat now. At one point, like well, after, with the first drink, I was like, okay, and me too, because she took a little sip of sherry, I think, to settle her stomach, and I was mm-hmm. like, okay, that's fine. But, but when she started smoking, and drink, I, was, I was like, wait, I was like, are you okay, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. That's why your baby's kicking you. <laughs> like, mom, we can tell it's 2019 while, while we're reading this. Okay, Hunter, what was your question? Um, my question was. Um, about love stories, about oh, specifically love, st- like, is this a love story? And, w- like, why do, because I'm pretty sure, I, I think it is, but, like, also, why are love stories, oh, I know why. This is a complicated way to <laughs> ask this. Like, <laughs> Wait, I know. All of, the, all, of the, all of the books that I've read, by the books that are about relationships between um, two black people, whether it's, like, two men, two women, man and woman, whatever, one of them always ends up incarcerated. Okay. And I'm wondering, you know, like, what do you think that there is a, do you think that, that, that we can't have? Like, can we, I mean, I, like, I'm wondering for, for people, for, I mean, for black people who want to read, like, a happy, romantic, like, um, literary mm. book, like, is that, like, not an option because of where we're at in our world, or? Well, that's interesting. Well, are you reading books of, like, you know, authors of color, that are popular in the mainstream, which is usually driven by white people? Or do you read things that are... I mean, I read a really diverse amount. And I read, like... And I've read, like... I've read some... I've read some, like, 
like um, romance novels that are by. People. I was about to say, and I think maybe the key here is literary because I do think there are some romance novels yes. that do that. But I don't know. I mean, I'm racking my brain, and right. I think Kendra, you read more diversely, honestly, than I do, and I try. But I, I'm racking my brain, and I'm thinking, especially recently, an American Marriage, Care and Feeding of Ravenously Hungry Girls, a kind of freedom. It's all you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wonder, and we, you know, we said this at the top of the episode. It's scary to try to speculate as a white person, um, but. I wonder if that's because so much of the history of black Americans Mm -hmm. has been imprisonment and chains in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And so the the literature reflects that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know, but I think that's a good question because. And maybe we're not the ones to answer that, you know, but I think that's, but I think it's worth thinking about. Yeah. I I do want to say though, that I 100% think this was a love story. Yeah. And also the, there were two other love stories. One was love and one was, I don't know what that was, but, but her mom and dad Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're, you know, they have what a strong marriage. He's not incarcerated. And then, um, Fani's parents, I don't know. I couldn't tell like. What Does he live there? there? Does he not live there? Yeah. <laughs> but Funny, yeah, real, they're still together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there is love described between them even at the yeah. end of the book. And I think imprisonment exists as a fear for those couples. Mm-hmm. I think you see that especially play out at the end. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll talk about the ending in a couple minutes. But I think at the end you see Fonnie, Fonnie's father and Tish's father having some heart-to-hearts. And I... Maybe it's because I was coming off of the Nickel Boys or something, but having these two male characters clearly try to overcome their own fear mm-hmm. of a system mm-hmm. that has treated them horribly. Yeah. And they're watching it treat now another generation horribly. Yeah. So even the fear of imprisonment did play a role, I think, in those marriages or in those relationships. Um, but you're right. It wasn't just... That's a good point, that it wasn't just Fonny and Tisha's love story. There were some mm-hmm. other... I mean, Fonny's parents had some struggles. <laughs> yeah. um, but but Tisha's parents actually were lovely in their own way and had a romance mm-hmm. in their own way. Who's playing... Who's Regina King playing? The mother. Of Tish. Uh, Tish's mother, yes. I want to... I can't wait to see Fonny's mom come <laughs> on the screen. Yeah. I've seen... Like, I saw, like, clips of her. Like, she ha- she is a very, like large character like or like like a very like um big presence yeah she's yeah. very like scenery chewing type uh-huh. actress which i think is really fitting i am dying to see that and it got it's already out of amc which i know kills me. um hunter i think your question and this is what this is why i love great so in great books when we had conversations like this there are some questions that don't get answered mm-hmm. um because either we're not the right people to answer it mm-hmm. or we don't have sufficient evidence yeah. um or it's just a question you kind of put into the universe and i think that I think, Hunter, your question is one that can kind of be percolating as we keep reading. Because hopefully the goal is to keep reading books by people of color, by um, African Americans, by by gay authors, by authors, so that we can see, so that we can kind of try to grapple with issues that we might not have to grapple with in our own well, yeah, that's that's the thing, and, I, and that's something that I just want to like. It's so funny because when I read this, something I thought, and I just want to like put that out there, is that I. I'm not always comfortable when I read books that are by authors of color, um, and that's not a bad thing. 
because it means that I'm, because you know, like it's a, at yoga, at, at yoga, they're always like, you know, it's the things that make us the most uncomfortable that help us grow. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's such a good mindset to have. And, and yeah, there were times where it, this really reminded me of how fortunate I am mm-hmm. um, and that I can use like that good fortune and then that privilege and in some ways to like, to lift and elevate the voices of others and stuff. And to also like, just listen sometimes. And that's what this book, this book was kind of like, you know, someone like telling you their experience and you being like, okay, like this is, it's a beautiful story. I enjoyed the story, but it also, it taught me something and it, I don't think it was meant to teach me anything, but it did teach me a little bit more about a life that I haven't lived. I think that's one of the questions we kind of wanted to wrap up with. Um, and I think it's worth talking about. Did this book teach you anything? And I think this is a question you borrowed and maybe you can tell us kind of where you found this list because I think it would be valuable for other listeners. But um, was this book, was this book's intention to teach? And I'll say that I read this book and for the most part did not feel uncomfortable. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows that I'm a prude. And so the love scenes were... (laughs) I think it's safe to say explicit. Yes. Like, is that okay? Yes. <laughs> is that safe for me to say? Like, because at first I was reading thinking, why don't we read this in high school? And <laughs> then, I, then I was like, I see. <laughs> um, um, but other than that, this book did not maybe make me uncomfortable. But much like, and again, I've already said, but I was coming off the Nickel Boys, the new Colson Whitehead, and it definitely made me deeply pained. Mm-hmm. And I think the word that I used on Instagram was anguished. Like, it, it's the best word I know, knew how to use because I thought this book was written in 1974 and it could have been written today. Mm-hmm. And that's what made me, that's what made me feel things. And that's what made me, if this, I think James Baldwin has crafted a really outstanding story. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel mm-hmm. like I was getting preached at. I didn't feel like I was, I don't feel like I was force-fed something, but I did end it feeling anguished and pained and troubled. And I hope that when we read books like this, we don't just leave them after the page is turned. I hope we're leaving and we're either going off and reading more books like this or we're making a difference in our communities or we're contributing to organizations that are making a difference. And so... I, like you, I felt, Hunter, like I was, I had just enjoyed a really good story, but all books teach us things, right? Mm-hmm. I, yeah. think, I think. This book reminded me of the early 2000s when my college roommate introduced me to indie films for the first time, <laughs> and I was, I remember watching, I think it was Ghost World with her, and I, I was like, well, maybe this is maybe this wasn't the one because it was a very long time ago. But it was I watched that one and some other ones, or like Rachel's Wedding or whatever. Oh, yeah. And I was like, what was the point of this movie? Like, Rachel getting married. Rachel yes. getting married. I love that movie. I was like, this is just like someone turned a camera on to a life for a couple of days and made me watch it, and like it was enjoyable, and that's their story. But there wasn't like the typical arc or something. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I felt about this book. Was mm-hmm. like this was just like opening up. A life. It felt very honest and real and raw, and I definitely, I mean, pain. It was really hard to accept that this is what happened and mm-hmm. still happens. And but it would. There was no. There was a, an arc with the baby, but like, it, you know. But you're right. Like I think we all we all said we thought um, her trip to Puerto Rico was gonna like be the. T- I think we all were waiting for some yeah. courtroom drama to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Emily, what a great point. It is like just a camera turning on, and you're just seeing a snapshot of this life, and. I, 
I feel like, Emily, no spoiler, I mean, this book is 30 years old. Uh, and I don't think this will hinder your reading experience. But the ending does not tie things up in a pretty little bow. Mm-hmm. Nor does it does it shut things down in an awful, terrible way. Like, right. I, I mean, the, uh, well, something happens that I did find awful and terrible. But it doesn't end, maybe... It doesn't end. It yeah. feel it feels like the lives the lives keep going, but the camera has shut off. Mm-hmm. Um, toward the end, we do get kind of this tragic moment, but it's not the tragic moment I thought was going to happen. Um, and instead, I think is this really powerful reminder of how Fani wasn't the only person facing consequences for something he didn't do. Mm-hmm. And I think we knew Tish was, but I think. I saw, oh, his whole family, yeah. her whole family. Like, this this community mm-hmm. is being deeply affected by by the consequences of Fani's, not even actions. He, right. he didn't his do anything. Luck, yeah. yeah, his bad... His, well, it, yeah. You know, it was his interaction. It was actually Tish, Tish's... Yes, yeah. Interaction, interaction with that sheriff. Which isn't no, 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 it with the well, yeah, yeah. It's it's so interesting because like that's the thing. Like so, like <laughs> I think at this point we can say like there's like a little spoiler like moment here that I can say this. Yeah. Okay. I just think it's really interesting that she's this Tish is trying to avoid being harassed by this man, mm-hmm. and because she's trying to avoid being harassed, and her boyfriend, fiance, whatever, Fani tries to defend her, he gets on the bad list. Mm-hmm. From, by this white cop. By a white cop. Which does... That is a factor that plays into it. Yep. And because of that, he's put in jail for something that he was obviously trying to kind of, in a way, protect his his girlfriend from. Mm, like, girlfriend from. Yeah, which I just think is just so, like, the, just, like, frustrating. And, like, the... Oh, God, the irony. Like... Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's what I mean by anguish. The anguish is the only word I knew how yeah. to use. Like, I just... Um, but I But I also hesitate to say that this book didn't teach me anything because mm-hmm. I feel like if we're read, I don't know. And maybe that's oversimplifying, but when I'm reading, I think for the most part, I walk away feeling like I've been taught something. Mm-hmm. I think it just gives you a deeper understanding that what's on the surface mm-hmm. isn't the whole story. And to look at, I mean, lives are complicated and complex and there's a lot of, I don't know, different just perspectives when you're looking at something, you know, not to judge so quickly. And I really do appreciate that Baldwin could have made this book entirely about Fonny's incarceration and entirely about that moment. Mm-hmm. And instead... That's two th- 2019. <laughs> instead, <laughs> I think we do get this really rich portrayal of a family mm-hmm. um, and, a, and a snapshot of a family, um, which I think lends itself to to us walking away feeling like we've read a really good story. Mm-hmm. Um, that this could have been, and I don't think it would have been lesser if it had been like a quote-unquote issues book, but I left feeling like he's addressed some... It was it was very nuanced. Yes. Yes. He's addressed some really tough things while also giving me a beautiful love story mm-hmm. and an interesting, an interesting family dynamic that I think I'll yeah. remember for a long time. And I will just say this. It's so funny, though, because I'm, I'm thinking... I was thinking about how, like, you know, I, I do feel like he's addressed these things, but I was just thinking, though, that um, what, like, uh, you know, black readers might not even feel like it's... He's making a point of anything. Yeah. They might just think, oh, this is just my life, and this is... Yeah. And that's, like... And that's, and that's not, like, very a very heartbreaking thing to think. Yeah. To, to kind of know that that's... 
So Hunter, when we were prepping for this conversation, you, through your life on bookstagram, <laughs> uh, hashtag shelf by shelf list, I'm going to make it happen. Um, you kind of interact with some people of color on Instagram and mm-hmm. some, um, I think even black readers and podcasters. Mm-hmm. So can you give us some names so that if others are listening at home and they're going to read, which I hope you will, gosh, I mean, yeah. I, if we're doing love it or love it, love it, it. <laughs> love it. Yes. for sure. Um, but can you maybe recommend some um, resources and some people, voices that we can kind of help partner with us in, in talking about this book? Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's a podcast called the Stacks Pod, um, and they're very good. And it's really funny because they they've addressed because um, it's it's run by um, a woman of color, I'm pretty sure. And what I like is that she she's she's like you know read books that are like outside of who you are, like yes, like, like you know, but just like but understand like that, like understand that sometimes it may not you may not be the audience for it, and so you and may you ch- might not feel comfortable, right. Um, but she's great, and, and she her Instagram is wonderful. She'll interact um, all the time, and ha- she always is open to dialogue about They things. had a really, I think by the time this episode goes live, it's toward the end of Black History Month, but they had a really great, what was, it was a hashtag that... Once you go blackout. Yes. Yes, which I've loved. I thought that was very helpful. Yeah. Um, um, the Sax Pod, there's a couple of Instagrams. There's um, Read Rewind, um, Reads by Rod Kelly... Absorbed in pages. I'm sure we can like have like a little yeah, list. Yes, Chris will link them in the show notes. Yeah. And then I really did before we started recording. Before we hit record, you kind of walked us through some questions to help guide discussions. I thought that was a really helpful resource too. And that's from the Stacks Pod. Yeah. Um, there's. She was just sharing um, just different thoughts to have like um, something along the lines of like continue to read review authors of color, but maybe link to another person's review that helped you understand the material. And that's just, even if you don't have an account to link anything to, just to interact with a person who might um, better identify with the story, just to get a more perspective on it. Um, Be specific in your language about what made you uncomfortable and why. Mm. Um, And remove yourself from the center. Did the book teach you a lot? Or rather, did you learn and realize that you had gaps? Was the book written to teach you? Maybe, but it's also it also could just be someone else's actual experience. Perfect. Um, okay, so we will do this again in a couple months, and we will try to let people know what we're going to read next. But if you have suggestions of a backlist title that maybe you've been dying to read or you would like to hear us discuss together, um, then email uh, podcast at bookshelfthomasville.com because we'd love your ideas um, for future episodes. Thanks, Hunter. Thank you, Emily. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're at the bottom of the barrel again started out strong but now we're coming up thin oh we've cast our lots with all the devils of sin oh my god oh my god oh my god of From the Front Porch has been produced by me, Annie Jones, and Chris Jensen, and edited by Chris Jensen. Full show notes and a list of the resources Hunter talked about can be found on our website, fromthefrontporchpodcast.com, and links for further reading can also be found there. Our intro music is done, as always, by Four Lawrence Strangers. 
this week at the bookshelf, a funny thing happened. I was teaching how to make bracelets at the Galentine's event and this woman walked in and she looked so familiar and I asked Ashley, I said, who is this woman? Tell me. She said, because I was afraid I was supposed to know her. And she, you know, was like, I think she's in Annie's book club. She's, this woman sat down to make a bracelet and was trying to figure it out and I was like, Have, you look familiar. She's like, oh, clearly I did not look familiar. <laughs> and she, I said, do you? Have you painted at your maker? And she looked at me because I don't teach painting, so how would I know that? And <laughs> and I was and I was like, I know you were on your first date during a painting class. <laughs> and she looked so mortified. And I was like, Oh, well, it's because Hillary was teaching me, and she told me a story, and I post all the pictures, so I've seen your picture. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm creepy. And she was like, Yeah, that was a little creepy. It's okay though. <laughs> And then I was too nervous to ask about if there was another date. That's small town life in a nutshell, I think. Yes. It's creepy without meaning to be. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you guys next week.